This is Resident 104.4 FM. Flipping marvellous. How you doing? Tis I, Nicholas of Hennigan, coming at you once more on uh, Literary London with Literary London, the programme that's all about, well, kind of literature and London. It's, it's in the title, really, isn't it? Yes. Uh, and I'm delighted to welcome back to the programme, because she's been on before, uh, local writer, London writer, Samantha uh, Buick. Who uh, actually, you're not you're not originally from London, now, are you? It's the accent no. gives it away a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> the accent does give it away. I'm originally from slightly south of Glasgow, but I came down to an English university, and then in the way of these things, I made it to London and never left. In fact, I made it to Chiswick and never left. Yes, we're going to be talking a little bit about Chiswick because, there's, well, there's a few connections there. One, I live there, <laughs> uh, although we're in Hammersmith at the moment. And two, you live there. And three, uh, the Chiswick Book Festival is something that we've covered on this show quite a lot. Um, and Torin Douglas, who arranges the whole thing, uh, always talks about Chiswick being one of the most writerly places, uh, not only in London, but possibly in the UK. Uh, because of the, I suppose, if you think of the fair list of fairly famous people that hung out here, and I don't <laughs> just mean you and I, Samantha, I, 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 WB Yates at the moment, we've been covering the, mm-hmm. the fact they're trying to raise money to put a, a memorial to WB Yates, who spent a lot of his youth in Chiswick uh, in W4. But your story is fascinating, because you've got a new book out as well, haven't you? We should, it's part of the Death In series. That's right, yes. Um, The fourth book was published a few months ago now, um, Death in Frenzy, Um, and I am desperately trying to write book five. Really? Well, so we, 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 talk, we talked a bit about, uh, so it was uh, book four, which was what, Death in Sight, was that the last? Book three is Death in Sight and book yeah. four is Death in Frenzy. And we did talk about Death in Sight yes. last time because yes. I was struggling with book four then. And it all it all worked out perfectly well. Obviously, it was it was coming here and, and chatting. That's what that's Absolutely. what it did, obviously. So, so just tell us about or tell us about the stories anyway, because you, you well, just tell us about the stories. <laughs> the stories. The Death in series is a policier, a cop series set in Manhattan at around 125th Street. And it's the story of the misfit team led by Casey Clement, female, her enormous partner, O'Leary. I love O'Leary. He started this, but we'll get (laughs) to that. And their two colleagues, Tyler, who's ex-army, and Andy, who is a technological whiz. But they are not very good at being nice to everybody else around them. They've all got secrets They've all got pasts. And as a result of that, they stick together like glue, but they don't play terribly well with others. And one morning in the first book, Death in Focus, they have been called to a crime scene in Manhattan and they are spotted by well-known reality photographer Carvel, who is short of inspiration and desperately needs something new to follow up a brilliant photo exhibition of the street life of Manhattan. 
Carvel doesn't have much of a past except what you'd expect from a reasonably good-looking, well-off man, but he is absolutely obsessed with his photos to the point of ignoring common sense, good manners, and the word no. (laughs) (laughs) He decides that these four cops are his next exhibition, which does not go down tremendously well. (laughs) (laughs) But in various ways, assisted by O'Leary, O'Leary is Six foot ten, muscles on his muscles, wasn't quite good enough to make it as an American footballer and turn to being a cop. He has an accent that is found nowhere in America and probably nowhere in nature, which makes him sound like an ambulating haystack with no brain. But he's actually pretty bright under all of that. And he decides that what his friend and partner Casey needs is Carvel. (laughs) (laughs) So he facilitates Carvel following the team around. And murder and mayhem and all sorts of arguments ensue, really. And that was... Sorry, yeah, is is Carvel only... Was it Ouija, the famous American Ouija? Remember a famous American photographer that used to take sort of shots of the street and some sort of horrible crime scenes I, occasionally. I don't know about that. I was thinking more of the Cartier Bresson and oh, I've forgotten her name, but one of the most famous woman reality photographers just died a few weeks ago, I think, an American again, but my brain being distinctly lacking, I've forgotten her name, but like that, yes. And why, I've mentioned it before really, why why America? Why, have you spent a lot of time in America or is it just the genre that appealed to you? A bit of both. I have actually walked around the area where my fictional precinct is set, which is exactly on the site of a real police precinct of the NYPD. So I have been there, I've been to New York a fair bit, but it was also the genre. Um, I love detective stories of all flavors. I'm British, American, I've read lots and lots and lots of them. I've just got a new one this afternoon as well. So we'll see about that later. And I do genuinely enjoy the genre. And when I, before I retired, it was the one I would turn to after a long, hard technical day. Yes, because you've had a fascinating kind of, um, your background's quite fascinating as well. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Because you were sort of, yeah, well, just tell us a bit about that. (laughs) Well, I, I studied chemistry at university, but I found out quite quickly that, A, I didn't enjoy it that much, and B, I wasn't terribly good at it. So I did what pretty much all vaguely mathematical or scientific people do when they can't, when they don't want to do science or maths, and went to be an accountant. And I joined 
KPMG, one of the then big eight, now big four, age 21 or so, and never left. I moved from general accountancy into restructuring insolvency pretty quickly, found that it was a lot more interesting than auditing and tax, and stayed there for almost 30 years, always at KPMG. I spent a year on secondment in Moscow. I was lucky enough to be able to do a bit of traveling. And I really enjoyed my job. And then when I was mid 40s or so, I went to the optician one fine day and they did one of those clever little field tests with the flashes and the clicky thing. And the upshot of that was that I had had undiagnosed glaucoma, which had led to me losing about a quarter of the vision in each eye. My job required me to read fat, technical, small print documents extensively. And when I was at home, like I said, I read for pleasure extensively. So to be told that you've got something that could result in you losing your sight completely is not really the best thing that can happen to you. And at the same time, I had to have a brain scan, which proved to be nothing, but it didn't exactly improve the the couple of months either. And when something like this happened, you really start to reassess what you want to do with your life and where you are and, you know, all the things that you might want to do before you can't do them anymore. Now, to cut the suspense short, the wonderful ophthalmic doctors at Western Eye Hospital have completely stabilised my sight and it is no worse now than it was then. All credit to West London um, Eye Hospital, sorry, Western Eye Hospital. But at that point, it was not great. And I went back not back exactly, because I hadn't really done any writing except dreadful teen angst poems, which I profoundly hope I have burned or destroyed in some fashion. Uh, if, I ever, if I ever find them, I'll light them. Um, I started writing what's known as fan fiction. And basically what this is, is... You have somebody else's characters, whether it's movies or TV shows. I think the Marvel characters are astonishingly popular or TV shows, even books. And you write your own stories about using those characters. And the trick is to stay in character in a totally different situation. Now, There are big sites on which you do this sort of thing, but the key thing is it's somebody else's copyright. So obviously it's all free. And I'd read a bit of it about things I liked. So I thought, well, might as well try it. And much to my amazement, people liked it. And you learn an awful lot in a hurry 
not least because if people don't like it, they are not shy about telling you so in fairly blunt terms. <laughs> and you learn a great deal about pacing and characterization, especially because you've got to get that true to the characters that were already established. So it's a really good way of learning I won't say in a safe environment because some of the criticism is pr pretty brutal, but it does give you a good chance to learn. And then I wrote a film script for work, in fact. The Global Insolvency Association, INSOL International, was having its global quadrennial conference and they put out a note to everyone who was likely to be going. Does anybody want to do a bit of writing? Can anybody write? We need a film to link all the sections of the conference together. We need a script. It will be professionally made um, with professional actors and the film company would obviously help if the script was going to be appalling. And I put my hand up and said, OK, I'll give it a go. And the upshot of that was a 45 minute film, mostly written by me with some input from another insolvency person and editing and general suggestions by Andrew Greener of Kennington Creative. It was SpectreCon then, but it's Kennington Creative now. And from that, Andrew gave me some incredibly good advice about mapping out your character. He, he obviously wanted it so he could tell the actors, but describe what they're wearing, where they went to school, what car do they drive, what's their favorite color. And he was also incredibly helpful about writing dialogue because the temptation when you're writing dialogue is to use everybody's name. And actually, as we all know, at the end of a party where you've met lovely people and you've had wonderful discussions and you haven't a clue what their name is because you got it once three hours ago and you don't use it in dialogue. And it was things like that. And people don't speak grammatically unless you're writing Jane Austen. Um, so... And the film, thankfully, <laughs> was quite was successful in doing what it was supposed to do. And all the attendees, which was a good thousand people or so, really enjoyed it. And it's Insol uses it for training. I mean, there were some bits that had to be slightly shoehorned in. There was some technical stuff that needed to go in and <laughs> that you wouldn't find in a a purely entertainment film, but again, it was great practice. And by this time, I worked out that I could actually retire and the insolvency market was changing very, very rapidly away from what I did and enjoyed doing. And while I still loved my job and the firm, 
I could see that pretty shortly the market would change in a way which would mean that I wouldn't enjoy it anymore. And I was lucky enough to be able to say, okay, now's the time to make a change and stop doing insolvency and write. Quite a big call, though, isn't it? I mean, you must have, or was it a big call? Did you have to agonise for long or was it just this series of events that sort of pushed you to the final conclusion? It was the series of events. As soon as I was diagnosed with glaucoma, I started thinking a lot more long-term about when I would want to retire. I was able to bring it forward because I was just lucky enough to be able to bring it forward, frankly. And that coincided with the big changes in the the insolvency market. But where I was really coming from was that I didn't ever want to say, I wish I had taken the time to do something, travel, which I like doing, COVID notwithstanding, before something intervened to stop me and, you know, problems with your eyes. You sort of think, God, what if, you know, what if something does go wrong and I can't? So it was very much a case of, you don't regret the things you've done half as much as the things you didn't do or didn't get a chance to do. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's certainly for writers anyway. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of uh, uh, a lot of problem around that. I mean, so what's the routine? And did, did you finish at work and then take a holiday? And then <laughs> did you say, right now I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna write a book? Or did you we tempted to do screenplays? Or what was the what, what I happened? I started writing the first death in death in focus before I finished work, but probably almost coincident with the decision to retire, I gave management quite a lot of notice. I had a lot of bits and pieces that needed properly handed over. And it's not fair just to say, um, three months from now, I'm gone, pal. You know, that is not professional when you've been there a long time. So I had more or less finished the book about the point I retired and then I messed with it a bit. Um, and then I got impatient and then I published it on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> so were you writing, you were writing sort of in the evenings and at weekends yeah. in your spare time? <laughs> on the tube. <laughs> yeah, on the tube. I did most of my dissertation on the, on the district line, actually. It's a marvellous thing if you haven't got it. Uh, the I'm district Nick, line is a wonderful thing. Line. It is. Uh, I'm Nick Hennigan. We're talking to Samantha uh, Buick about her series of books and her lifestyle, Death in Focus or Death in Camera, Death in Sight, Menu and Death in Frenzy, which we're going to read from in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Residence 104.4 FM. You can also see us. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, you can see us on bohemianbritain.com. Um, it's a bit of a joke, actually, because this this podcast is voted the second most popular podcast to follow in the world uh, oh. by I forget which company, Feedspot, I think it was. So, and I thought, how can you be a successful Bohemian? As I was saying, you know, does that mean you have two cans of beans a night as you're in your little garret trying to come up with your next concept? Is that success? <laughs> so anyway, we've got a we've got a station, a channel called BohemianBritain.com. So check that out. We'll also be on the LondonLiteryPubCrawl.com. This one's a poster behind me. If you if you're listening in stereo, you'll be able to see it here. Yeah. Uh, LondonLiteryPubCrawl.com. Uh, 
um, YouTube page as well. So all over the place. Uh, as always, if you want to get in touch, it's probably easiest to email radio at mavericktheatre.co.uk. Oh, it's called Nick Hennigan, you see. Hennigan. It's a difficult one. You're, you're, you're all right with your sur- surname, uh, Buick. That's fine. Hennigan's gets people spitting in the streets. So uh, radio at uh, mavericktheatre.co.uk. Have a look as well at Resonance FM because uh, we've got a fundraiser on. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, <coughs> we're going to dedicate, dedicate, we're going to donate some tickets for the London Literary Pub Crawl as well, raising funds for Resonance FM. But um, going back to the, what's, so what's your lifestyle like now, Samantha? So you did the big corporate stuff. Your, your scare really made you decide to, call a day on the corporate so how how does it work now what's your writing method as it were (laughs) (laughs) right well I wake up not as early as I used to I have coffee and go through my emails have a look at twitter retweet your tweets thank you very much thank you (laughs) yes um and then I go to the gym because if I don't go to the gym, I will sit on the sofa like a potato all day. And that is probably not good for me. I don't much like going to the gym, but get back, have some more coffee, open the document, think about writing, decide that procrastinating and reading Twitter is more fun, <laughs> write a bit, discover that I need to research something at the minute it's Shakespeare go and research and fall down a rabbit hole of interesting facts and things, go back to the document and actually write something. I do have a target of about a thousand words a day. If I get that, I'm happy. If I get more than that, I'm really happy. I don't stress too much about it. I had enough stress in corporate life. Um, I don't need to bother stressing now and I don't have official deadlines so you know I I try and keep it moving but I'm fairly yeah. relaxed about it and are you uh, are you an everyday or you should do five days a week and try and take time off at weekends and things no I'm an everyday or I usually with something anodyne on the tv well in the evenings there's something on in the background and at the weekends the rugby is on in the background extensively <laughs> so keeps you going i see absolutely um, well so let's um, you've got a little bit you've got to read to us uh, so would you like to introduce that yes this is from the fourth book death in frenzy a chef has been frenziedly murdered behind his diner. And in this bit, the team are still in that stage where there are lots of motives, plenty of suspects, and they have just had the autopsy report, the post-mortem, from the rather chippy medical examiner, MacDonald. And we will, so. Force of the blows makes it unlikely it was an average woman. In typical cover his ass style, MacDonald says it could be an exceptionally strong woman. I guess that's a reduction. Could you hit that hard? You're fit and trained. Look at how you threw Larson around even if you're teeny, O'Leary added. I don't know, Casey said. Could test it. 
Meddling? Tyler suggested. What? No, I'm not stabbing melons. They don't hit back, you know. They squirt juice. You want to stab melons, it's your shirt that's getting stained. I'm not paying your dry cleaning bill. She gave Andy, who couldn't contain his laughter, a dirty look. I'm not stabbing anything. I'm delighted to hear that, Clement. Perhaps you could explain to me why you might be stabbing objects, since I presume that you didn't intend to stab living beings. Captain Kent waited. Dr. MacDonald has suggested that our victim might have been stabbed by an exceptionally strong woman, sir. The team suggested an experiment to eliminate all but the strongest of women, but I don't think that me stabbing a melon would help. No. The NYPD doesn't employ circus strong women. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Have you gone through that thing of stabbing melons? Where did you get that from? <laughs> I have never stabbed a melon. I need to make that clear. No melons were harmed in the writing of this book. <laughs> and so and where do you, where do you, I mean, people always ask that, where do you find your inspiration comes from? So uh, did you have to work hard at it? Did they float along? Mm. Yeah. How, how does it work? Um, the first book very much fell out of both my chemistry degree, since the victim was an optical chemistry scientist, and my experience of financial fraud when I was doing insolvency. Um, the second one was really just an inspiration around modelling and the dark side of modelling, internet sex cams, that sort of thing, and how easy it is for models to be dragged down into somewhere they really do not want to be. Death in Sight was different, and the timing was quite interesting because when I wrote it, there hadn't been the George Floyd case in the States. And by the time I published it, there was, but it was very, it opened with a young black man having been shot in one of Manhattan's parks. And very early in the book, there is a short piece of, from Tyler, who is a black cop, and Carvel, who is white male, well-off, says, well, you know, why did he need ID when he was running? Tyler just looks at him and said, gives a whole host of reasons, basically summing up to some people will challenge or shoot if you are running while black. And Carvel just stares because he's never, ever thought of that being, you know, white male privilege. Yeah. And by the time it came out, George Floyd had been unlawfully killed in the States and the whole racial prejudice thing had blown up into Black Lives Matter and a really important social thing. But when I wrote it, I <laughs> didn't know any of that. Yeah, so it's sort of ti well, timing, really, I suppose. Yeah. Something that we're all fortunately being made mm -hmm. more aware of now um and uh, we've almost run out of time again crikey oh, i can't believe how it goes and um, so what what's uh, what's next have you got book five on the on the uh... book 
on the board. Book five is about two thirds done, and book five, the murder is set in an experimental theater, which is doing a production of a Midsummer Night's Dream, where the entire cast is male except for Titania. Right, hence the Shakespeare research. Yeah, I like Shakespeare. Yeah, he's, the boy's done good, isn't he? I mean, I've I've played around with it a little bit. I've got, in fact, if you're watching on the telly, you can see there's a picture behind mm. me. But it's someone pointed out it's 30 years since I wrote that, which is really frightening. Uh, Henry V line of England's a version. It's a one-person version of Shakespeare's arguably biggest play. Um, so I, I, I kind of I got I got into that a little bit later. Um, where can we find out more about you, Samantha, and, and the books? Where can we get the books from? The books are all on Amazon. Kindle and paperback for those of you who like physical books. My author name is not Samantha Buick, but S R Gary, G A R R A E. <laughs> and the books can be bought individually or as a whole series at once. Um, they are available on Amazons everywhere. So geographically, you should be able to get them in whichever location your audience is in. Uh, all over the world. We've got Kath from California. I haven't heard from her for a while, but yes, yes, they are all over the world. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, thank you so much for, for popping along again. SR Gary. And then it's the Death in Focus, Death in Camera, Death in Sight, Death in Frenzy. What's the yep. next one going to be called? The Have next one will be called Death in Lights. Brilliant. Brilliant. As in footlights, I suppose, as well. Oh, Indeed. thank you so much. And we'll probably see you at the Chiswick Book Festival next year, inshallah. Very and God much willing. Hope so. <laughs> thank you very much for your time and, and, and good luck with everything. And I'm glad your eyes are all right now because that would terrify me as <laughs> thank well. Thank you very much <laughs> for allowing me on again. Well, and uh, that's all we've got time for. But uh, do join me again. As I say, uh, we're on bohemianbritain.com. We're also on the London Literary uh, YouTube channel and on all good radios everywhere. I'm Nick Hennigan. This is Literary London on Resonance 104.4 FM. <laughs>